0: Father, we just ask now that you would help us as we study your word, that you would encourage us, strengthen us, teach us, and Lord, that you would help us to live for you until you come. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. to take our Bibles and probably open them to First Thessalonians chapter 4. And uh, we got a little bit to get through before we get there, so just... Put your bookmarker if you need a copy of the outline. Uh, Wave your hand there. I think there are a few left. If not, we'll print some more. But uh, let's just start reading in verse 13. But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that ye saw or not, even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout. In First Thessalonians, and of course, if you're familiar with the book of First Thessalonians, they had problems in the church. Somebody had written a letter to the Thessalonians and signed Paul's name to it and told them that the resurrection was passed already and that they had missed it. You say, now, how in the world would that be such a problem? Well, it's very easy for you and I today... When someone shows up and says, I have a new revelation from God, we turn them off. Because we have all of God's revelation right here in the Bible. The Thessalonian church didn't have that. And Paul was writing this letter to the Thessalonians to help them understand what was going to happen in God's prophetic calendar. As we're getting back to our study of of eschatology, study of the end things. These are things that have not yet happened. Uh it's interesting. Have a, a man I have talked to him, oh my, ever since I've moved to Astoria, one of the first people and, and we used to get in these really long conversations and he would say, I know what's coming. And okay, you know, what's what's coming. And and he would begin to describe some of the things that he had uh, picked up from uh, maybe from the Bible. He said he understood the Bible, but it was uh, about how that the government was going to change and that everything was going to be controlled. And I said, well, the Bible does talk about that. Ah, see, you know what I know. And I'm sitting here going, no, no, no. You need to get saved. Oh, no, I don't need that. And uh, his name is Constantine, and we've just had conversation. And finally, I got to the point to when Constantine shows up. I say, "You're not going to listen to me about getting saved. I'm not going to talk to you about what you know." Uh, and uh, because the the theme of the scriptures is God's salvation of His people, that's the theme of the scriptures. And no matter what you know, if you don't know that, you know nothing. And uh, so, as we are studying the doctrines of the end times, we, the last time we were together on this subject in the series, we went through the letters to the seven churches and, and the things that Jesus addressed to those seven churches. We can look in our own church and we can see that every so often we have some of these things happening. Uh, we can look to our own history and thank God that He has set before us an open door. And, and we're going to pray that that door stays open. And the, the way that that happens is staying true to this book called the Bible. And, and we are looking for that blessed hope. We are looking for the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, the problem with teaching about things that has not happened yet is it's a little more difficult to be dogmatic about things that haven't happened as it is easy to be dogmatic about things that have happened. Amen? And and we went over that in the first lesson. And so uh, I, I am not going to tell you that what I am teaching is going to answer every and any question that may ever come up because there are questions that people ask uh sometimes they just simply don't have answers. And, and sometimes uh, we, as we listen to them, we say, well, yes, I understand what you're saying. And that is an issue that I don't think we'll fully understand until everything's been answered. But you need to understand something. Doctrine is not um, a buffet. I guess would be the way to put it. I mean, I like buffets because I can walk up and I can take two helpings of this and none of that. And, and then I can go back the second time and get what I like the first time and maybe try a few other things. And, and, and I can get what I want. And many people, when it comes to the Bible, they like the buffet approach. Uh, I met a guy one time. He says, I believe the true church teaches from the King James Bible. I said, I'm okay with you there. And is reformed in theology. I said, I got a problem with you there. Uh, I said, the Bible doesn't teach reformed theology. People use the Bible to teach reformed theology. But reformed theology, as it is, was developed in the reformation. That means for 1,500 or so, 1,400 and some odd years of church history, they had no doctrine, right? And uh, these things go in packages. You cannot just accept something and say, well, I accept this part, but I don't accept this part over here. It comes in a package. And by this, what I'm saying is people will say that They don't believe in the pre-tribulational rapture of the church, but they believe in the pre-millennial rapture of the church. Well, there's uh, a problem there. We just went through the letters to the churches, and in those letters to the churches, he tells those that are faithful, he says, I'm going to save you from the wrath to come. He says, but I'm going to take Jezebel and her children... Separate from the church and I'm going to put them through the tribulation and that helps us understand that this thing called the tribulation is not for the church several times in those letters and we're not going to take time to look up all the scriptures. But what I'm trying to say here simply is that a pre-tribulational return of Jesus Christ for his church answers the most questions, puts the most things that we do know in order and that is why I teach it and believe it because I've studied the other things and I'm not going to take time to go through and teach you all the other things so that you can come to the same conclusions. Uh, What I'm saying is that if we stick to this as a church, we have the best understanding of eschatology that we can arrive at based upon a consistent, literal understanding of the Bible. And I'm going to present some of those things to you. And so we, this is what we believe is, uh, and let me just get this note out of the way. I remember meeting a Jewish man and reading in some Jewish commentaries that they have a real problem with this thing we call the second coming because Messiah was only supposed to come once. And the funny thing is, many of the people who uh, disagree with our pre-tribulational return of Jesus Christ say exactly the same thing. It's only going to come once. Why are you arguing that He's going to come and take the church and then seven years later He's coming back to set up His kingdom? Well, because it fits with Scripture. That's why. Um, And yet, we offer the same thing to the Jewish person who says, My understanding of the Old Testament prophecies was Messiah was to come once and set up His kingdom. Well, I think Jesus was pretty clear on that. Thus it behooved him to suffer. Uh, The book of Hebrews, that he made the captain of our salvation perfect through sufferings, that Jesus had to come as the sacrifice, and he will come again as the king. And so, just something to think about here as we go through this, we believe in the pre-tribulation rapture of the church. As the first part of the return of Christ. We believe that this is the trigger. The prophetic, uh, uh, just use the word trigger again, that begins all of the events of the book of Revelation. Now, Jesus time and time again told his disciples to watch. Lest the Lord's coming overtake you as a thief in the night. Lest you're not prepared when the Lord comes, we are to watch. Now, what are we to watch for? This is one of the questions that you have to answer. Are we to watch for the signs of the time? Are we to watch for the revelation of the Antichrist? Are we to watch for the rise of His kingdom? Are we to watch for the battle of Magog and Magog in in Ezekiel chapter 38? Uh, Are we to watch for the building of the temple? Uh, What are we to watch for? It says we're to watch for Jesus. Now, if Jesus is coming at the end of the tribulation period, then Jesus would have told us to watch for all of these signs. He didn't tell us to watch for any signs. He told us to watch for His coming. He told us to wait on Him. I mean, if you've ever been to a nice restaurant, and here's one of the ways you tell the difference between a nice restaurant and a not-so-nice restaurant. A not-nice restaurant, what does the waiter do? He takes care of you when he gets around to it. And he doesn't pay much attention, and that, that's not a very nice experience. Or, in a not nice restaurant, you got the waiter going, Can I do this? Can I do that? Can I do that? I'd like you to just shut up so I could eat, but you can't say that to him. Uh, that's what happens at a not nice restaurant. You know, at a nice restaurant, they actually train the waiters. I think they do, don't they, Brother Dave? So that they are watching and they are trying to understand when you want them to come and when you want them to stay away. And And their goal is to make your time at the restaurant as pleasant as possible. That way you leave them lots of money when you go, right? Uh, I mean, that's the way it's supposed to work. Well... We're supposed to be waiting on the Lord as a servant. You know what that means? We're supposed to be doing the things that He wants us to do. While we are waiting for Him to come back, we're to be about the Master's business. Uh, Not leading the Lord Jesus. Are you ready to do this now? Are you not, not ahead of Him And not ignoring Him. Well, the Lord just... You know, I've heard preachers preach. The Lord gave us some reason to figure some of these things. No, He did not. He didn't give you reason to figure out what He wants you to do. He told you what He wants you to do in the Bible. And so we need to be about our Lord's business. You know what that is? Telling other people how to get saved. Amen? Uh, Serving Him through His church. These are the things... That we are waiting for. These are the things that we are supposed to be doing in order to prepare for his coming. Because if we were, Jesus were coming at the end of the tribulation. You can't tell me. That people wouldn't be saying, well, I'll get busy about serving the Lord when the Antichrist shows up. Then I know I've only got seven years. I mean, that's the way we do everything else, is it not? And the Lord said, you watch for me. Now, I'm going to give you a couple of things. You see, the seven-year tribulation period is called what in the Bible? It's called the time of Jacob's trouble. We also call it the 70th week of Daniel. And we are waiting... And if you'll read in Daniel chapter 9, let's just go there for a minute. Daniel chapter 9. And verse 24 says, Seventy weeks are determined upon thy people and upon the holy city to finish the transgression And to make an end of sins and to make reconciliation for iniquity and to bring in everlasting righteousness and to seal up the vision and prophecy and to anoint the most holy. Now, do you get everything that Daniel says uh, that this vision as God reveals it? He says there are 70 weeks that are left in the history of Israel and at the end of those 70 weeks... The issue of sin is going to be dealt with. All of the prophecy is going to be fulfilled. And the most holy is going to be anointed. Well, that sounds like pretty much the consummation of everything we understand in the Bible, does it not? The anointing of the most holy is the establishment of Jesus' kingdom. And so we have here uh, in verse 25 through um, uh, 26, it talks about the first 69 weeks. And it says in verse 27 And he shall confirm the covenant with many for one week, and in the midst of the week he shall cause the sacrifice and oblation to cease, and for the overspreading of abomination he shall make it desolate even unto the consummation. And that determined shall be poured out, poured upon the desolate. So we have 69 weeks. Verse 26. It says, shall Messiah be cut off, but not for himself. And the prince of the people. Um, And and the people of the prince that shall come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary, and the end thereof shall be with a flood, and unto the end of the war desolations are determined. Now, let's just look at a little history here. Um, I don't have the chart in front of me, Uh, if you want me to look it up, I think I can find it in in one of my books, but a man named Sir Robert Anderson was actually a detective in Scotland Yard, while Sir Arthur Conan Doyle was writing all about Sherlock Holmes, this guy was doing the real work of catching the criminals of London, and uh, he was a Christian, a believer in the Bible, and when he retired, he devoted his time to the study of scriptures. And he went through the 70 weeks of Daniel. It tells us they begin when the king of Persia gives the the decree for the rebuilding of the walls. Uh, That is a documentable historical event. And he went through and calculated the days according to the Jewish calendar. And came up with the exact number of days that 69 prophetic years would fulfill to the very day that Jesus rode the donkey through the gate of Jerusalem the week he was crucified. I'm not going to try to redo that. Uh, it, It fits with what the Bible says. I'm not going to argue with him. And yet this abomination of desolation spoken about in the middle of the last week, Jesus... That very same week said, this is going to happen yet in the future. Somebody said, well, that was fulfilled when the Romans destroyed the temple. Well, wait a minute, finish verse 26. It says, the people of the prince that shall come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. And then they're going to confirm the covenant. And then he's going to take away... And commit the abomination of desolation while the temple was destroyed in fulfillment of verse 26, 70 A.D. It has yet to be rebuilt. There has yet to be an opportunity for the prince that shall come, the we call him the Antichrist, to reconfirm the covenant with Israel and that 70th week yet be fulfilled. Here's the point. The tribulation period is not about the church. It's about Israel. Israel and the church are two distinct and completely separate groups in God's plan. He treats them different, he has different promises to each, and any time you hear somebody starting to combine and And this is one of the reasons why we reject Protestantism is they say, listen, God, uh, uh, God refused the Jews and he's never going to deal with them again. And the church is Israel. Well, we don't accept that. Because there are promises that he made to Israel that have yet to be fulfilled. And this is one of them is that 70th week at the end of that 70th week. Sin is going to be dealt with. The holy is going to be anointed. It's very easy for me to see, and I hope for you to see, that the anointing of the holy is talking about the establishment of that thousand-year kingdom of which is spoken about in the book of Revelation. That Jesus, as the son of David, will sit upon the throne of David, ruling not only Israel, but the entire world for a thousand years. And the Bible says... We shall rule and reign with him. And so, before we get there, we have this thing called the tribulation period that's got to be solved. It fits in before the kingdom. And as we do that, we have no problem with taking this three score and two weeks and this last week. And we take it and lay that template over history and we can see that you and I are somewhere between week 69 and week 70 of Daniel's prophecy. Only I would dare say that we're a whole lot closer to week 70 than we were to week 69. Amen. Uh, we are uh, on the doorstep of that last period. The church does not fit into the scope of events during the tribulation period. I mean, I would, uh, uh, if we would understand this, that in order for the events of the tribulation period to be fulfilled, the Antichrist, it says all people are going to be given into his hand. There is going to be a one world government with Antichrist in charge. Now, we understand that the true believers in Jesus Christ are not to get out guns and fight uh, earthly battles. But how hard would it be for Antichrist to take over the United States of America with all of the churches that are here? All of the people that are saved pointing their finger and saying he's the abomination of desolation. He, he. I mean, we have history where uh, different, uh, reformers and, and different people captured by the, uh, the Catholic Church and put on trial and tortured to death before they died. They, uh, or were killed by the Church there. They would all call the Pope the Antichrist, and certainly he was a type of Antichrist, but, uh, he, he was not. He never had the power the Bible says that the Antichrist will have. But here's one of the things, that we look into evangelism during the tribulation period. How many of you are familiar with the two witnesses that shall prophesy in the city of Jerusalem for three and a half years during the tribulation period? And people are going to either believe their testimony or reject their testimony. And there's going to be some incredible phenomena attending uh, their testimony. It says that fire is going to proceed out of their mouths and kill their adversaries and make them invincible or unkillable until the time that God has finished their testimony. And then it says that the uh, beast or the Antichrist is going to overcome them and their bodies are going to lay in the city of Jerusalem for three and a half days and the world's going to have one big party because the two witnesses are dead. And then it says God's going to call them up to heaven. He's going to resurrect them and everybody is going to be full of fear and then the stopper's coming out and everything is going to go down the drain. Uh, just using a euphemism there, but the things that, uh, the uh, I call it the tip hammer of God's judgment. Uh, how many people know what a tip hammer is? Probably not too many. Uh, have you ever seen the blacksmith? He works with the metal. He'll give it one little ting and then a big one. And normally, as the metal is cooling, he'll start bing, bang, and faster and faster and faster because he's got to move the metal while it's cooling. That's a, that's tip hammer is the little one and the big. And, and he keeps repeating that so that his blows will land where he wants them to. And, and that's what the, the series of prophecies concerning the tribulation And we also have this 144,000 Jews, uh, Jewish men, uh, 12,000 out of each one of the tribes of Israel. And someone says, how is that going to occur since the genealogical records have been destroyed? And uh, that's one of those questions I'll tell you. I don't have an answer to, but God said it's going to happen, and I just believe it. Uh, I'd rather believe what the Bible says. And and have to have that question in my mind than to deny the word of God because of something I think I understand. Are we all together there, I hope? And uh, so, uh, yet, if a Jewish person gets saved today while the church is functioning, what are they supposed to do? Are we supposed to have Jewish messianic fellowships floating around? Or are they supposed to join a Bible-believing church and serve God through His church like every other believer? Well, if you read in your Bible, God is no respecter of persons, and He has made no difference between the Jew and the Gentile. We are to serve Christ in the church together. Well, how is He breaking that precedent in the tribulation period if the church is there? You see, the church doesn't fit. But Israel does. Uh, God has commanded the preaching of his word and evangelism to be carried out by whom? His church. Well, then where in the world do the two witnesses come in if the church is here? You see, that's why the statement is in your outline that things don't fit. If the church just does not fit into the scope of events, Israel does. Israel has always been spoken to by God by prophets. And some people believe those two witnesses will be Moses and Elijah. And I have no idea who they are. And I'm really not concerned with the identity other than they will be God's two witnesses. But I will tell you the precedent in Scripture is this. John the Baptist was Elijah, according to prophecy. Now, was John the Baptist Elijah? No, did he come in the spirit of Elijah? Most certainly did. The Bible says he does. The same Holy Spirit that enabled Elijah, enabled John the Baptist, and gave him many of those same characteristics. He dressed like Elijah. He acted like Elijah. He, he was not one of those little collar on backwards preachers that said, "In e generation of vipers, who shall warn you to flee from the wrath to come? I mean, I I just love John the Baptist, roaring at the top of his lungs, and those Pharisees and Sadducees just stand there shaking. Some of them believed. Some of them wanted to, but they wouldn't, because they'd rather have the praise of men than the praise of God. He was the last prophet until the two witnesses come. Why? Why? Because God was winding down Israel with John the Baptist, preparing for his church. And the two witnesses are going to come as God goes back to his focus of Israel and fulfills the questions and the prophecies and the things that the Bible has talked about there. You read in Revelation chapter 12, and if I don't just run through this thing, uh, we're not even going to get through the first half of the outline tonight. But in Revelation chapter 12, The object of Satan's wrath in the middle of the tribulation period is not the church. It's the woman that gave birth to he who would rule the nations with a rod of iron. It doesn't take much figuring to figure out the woman who gave birth to he who will rule the nations. Uh, That has to be talking about the nation of Israel. It couldn't be talking about anything else. Jesus was Jewish. Uh, I'm reminded of that every time I walk in this building. I love the stars of David and all the symbolism that is here. Uh, We have a Jewish Bible. We have a Jewish faith. The early church was made up of Jewish believers. We are the wild branch that was grafted in. But God has not cast off his people, Israel. And it's amazing how many of the quote-unquote Christian religions have lent themselves to anti-Semitism over the years. Have actually encouraged or been a part of it. theres uh, I don't know of any more anti-Semitic organization in the history of our world than the Roman Catholic Church. And, uh, with the exception of Hitler and Nazism. And, uh, the, the simple truth is, many of the Protestants have preached sermons about how God has thrown off the Jews and where are the Jews? Uh, Jesus talks about that in the letters to the churches. Those which call themselves the children of God and are not are going to bow at the feet of them which are the true children of God. That's in the church to Philadelphia. And so, these are, these are questions that need to be answered. These are differences between the church and Israel. I have uh, one book that has 24 distinct differences printed out between the church and Israel. And uh, I've only dealt with uh, five of them here, uh, in, in, or four of them in your outline. Uh, you know how long we'd be here if we had to deal with all 24. And so we we want to keep moving here. This is not the total of everything, but this answers questions concerning the power and the work of Antichrist as well. Turn with me to Daniel chapter 7, if you're still there in chapter 9. And we will get to First Thessalonians before long. Daniel chapter 7 and verse 25. This is talking about the kingdom of the Antichrist. It says, And he shall speak great words against the Most High, and he shall wear out the saints of the Most High, and to think, to change times and laws, and they shall be given into his hand until a time and times and the dividing of time. Now, That time and times and the dividing of time is the three and a half years of the tribulation period. This is definitely talking about Antichrist. It says he's going to wear out the saints of God. Yet, Matthew chapter 16, Jesus said the gates of hell shall not prevail against his church. Now, this is a contradiction. If the church is going to be there... And the Antichrist is going to wear out the saints of God. Does that not mean he prevailed against his church? You see, the Roman Empire persecuted the church of God. But before the Roman Empire died, the Roman Empire claimed to be Christian. They joined the church. And, of course, they didn't do it right and it was a mess. But do you see what I'm saying? They did, the Roman Empire did not prevail against the church. Uh, the communist. In Eastern Europe plan, uh, said that they would destroy the church, and they certainly went through, but there was not a communist nation on the face of the earth that does not and has not always had functioning Baptist churches uh, in their country, even under communism. Communism did not prevail against church, didn't wear it out, they didn't destroy it, maybe they hindered the work, Yes. But the church still went on. But Antichrist is going to wear out the saints of God. He's going to prevail. That's one of the reasons why we don't believe the church will be here during the tribulation period. And in Matthew 24, Jesus says that if it were possible, the Antichrist with his signs and with the wonders that he would work would deceive the very elect. And someone says, well, uh, the reason he won't deceive them is because they have the Spirit of God in them. Well, could I suggest to you, as fits with the rest of these things that we're talking about, he won't be able to deceive uh, the church of Jesus Christ because they won't be there. Uh, I think that is uh, just as viable an understanding of that verse as as the other. He will not convince those that are truly believers and true, truly reject the antichrist, but he won't convince he won't convince or deceive the church because they're not going to be there. And this fits in the thing, uh, the scope of prophecy, the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Second Thessalonians two seven says, uh, "Let's just take a moment. Turn there with me, if you would." 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, in verse 7. For the mystery of iniquity doth already work, only he who now letteth will let, until he be taken out of the way. And then shall that wicked be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth, and destroy with the brightness of his coming, even him whose coming is after the work of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders, with all deceivableness of unrighteousness in them that perish because they receive not the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this cause God shall send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie, that they might all be damned who believe not the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness now this passage i mean we could spend the whole night right here really but sin is at work in our world is it not i mean we see the mystery of iniquity we see people doing things and and they'll say voices came to me from the tv telling me to kill my neighbors and and demented people grabbing guns and going into schools and murdering little children uh you, you just sit there and you go, where in the world does this stuff come from? Well, you can't know. That's why it's the mystery of iniquity. You know, people want to sit these freaks down and try to understand. Oh, he had a problem with his father. He hated his mother and therefore he thought school teachers were like his mother. And so he's going to kill children and... No you take these perpetrators out and you execute them. And and, uh, you... when, When someone starts exhibiting bizarre behavior like this, I'll tell you what, pumping them full of drugs is not the answer. Pumping them full of Scripture might slow them down just a little bit. But... If they didn't... Anyway, that's a whole other subject. But it says that he who letteth, he who hinders that mystery of iniquity is going to be taken out of the way. Somebody said, well, that's the church. Well, that fits with our thing, but it, talking about an individual, we believe the individual is the Holy Spirit. But how does the Holy Spirit operate today? He said, I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee amen the holy spirit operates in the lives of believers his ministry as is today is indwelling believers and allowing us as believers to hinder the work of iniquity you go into an area where there's lots of Bible believing churches I'll tell you what you can feel the difference it, it's a whole different community. It's a whole different outlook on life. I've had people come and, oh, I can just feel the devil as I drive across the bridge. Well, I don't know if it's the devil or the uh, that rotten feeling you get every time that little toll thing takes all that money for driving across the bridge. Uh, how in the world could we be so stupid to elect a government that would rob us that way? I don't know. Uh, I tend to think it's the latter than the former. Uh, But the simple truth of the matter is the ministry of the Holy Spirit is going to change to allow the wicked one to be revealed. God will not change what He has promised the church. The simplest solution is the church moves. As God begins this new program, this new time to pour his judgment out upon the world. By the way, Jesus took all of our judgment on the cross. The tribulation is him pouring out his judgment upon the unsaved world. And out of that unsaved world, as he pours his judgment out, he's going to pull his people out. Just as he did with the church He poured all of His judgment upon Jesus Christ that He could redeem us. There's a pattern. And it follows the biblical pattern. The church returns with Jesus in Revelation chapter 19. They are arrayed in linen, fine and white. That's the promise that Jesus has to the churches. If you'll read the letters. So how in the world is the church going through the tribulation if at the end of the tribulation they return with Jesus Christ at the battle of Armageddon? One guy said, ah, this is how it works. Everything in the tribulation happens except the battle of Armageddon and Jesus comes to fight the battle and the church goes up to meet him and returns immediately to earth to fight the battle of Armageddon. Well, you can believe that if you want. Uh, I believe the church is gone before the tribulation begins so that all those other things can stay in line and that the church returns with Jesus at the end of the tribulation to rule and reign with Him. Now let's go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And we got five minutes left. But let's just read through these verses one more time. It says... But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. So the whole purpose of the second coming of Jesus is to give us hope for those that have died before Jesus comes back. For if we believe that Jesus died... Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So shall we ever be with the Lord. You see, some things are going to happen when Jesus comes back. Number one, the dead in Christ are going to be resurrected from the dead. We which are alive and remain, and by the way, Paul uses that word we, we includes me, Paul expected to be alive when Jesus came back. He was writing under the influence of the Holy Spirit, and every person who has read this Bible simply and understood it literally believed that Jesus would come back during their lifetime. Someone said, this is a new doctrine. Well, Uh, maybe what you need to do is understand a new history. Is People in the Middle Ages who began to read the Bible all of a sudden began to talk about Jesus coming back. And there were some nutcases that uh, went into a city and attacked it and said, we're going to set up Jesus' kingdom here on earth. Well, where in the world did you find that in the Bible? Nowhere. But where in the world would they be given a hope that Jesus would return to set up his kingdom in their lifetime? Uh, same place you and I do. It, it is an expectation of anyone who reads the scripture to believe that Jesus will return in their lifetime. We hope that it's ours. But you know what? It's been nearly 2,000 years I'm not going to presume upon the Lord, and as the song says, I'm going to let my house rot down around me because Jesus is coming back. No, we're going to fix up the church and make it look as nice as we can because uh, we want to have a good testimony to those that are alive right now that we care about our worship for the Lord. Amen? So, we have a hope that Jesus is coming. Now, could I ask you what your hope would be if our hope was to go through the tribulation period first when three quarters of the world's populations would be killed in less than seven years? How hopeful would that be? How would that reconcile itself with the promises in the Bible to protect those that believe in Jesus and are serving Him through His church from the wrath to come, if we have to go through the same wrath that the unsaved world has to go through. Uh, I cannot find an agreement there. That's why I believe in the pre-tribulational rapture. We are caught up to meet Jesus in the air. Acts chapter 1 verse 11 tells us that in like manner, as ye have seen him come, he's going to return again. You know who the only ones that knew what was going on when Jesus ascended? Were the disciples that were with him. According to our understanding of the pre tribulational rapture of the church, you know the only ones that are going to understand what's going on? Those that believe in Jesus Christ. It fits. In great contrast with. Revelation chapter 1 that says He's going to come in clouds of power and great glory and every eye shall see Him. In Zechariah chapter 14 it says, And in that day He will put His feet on the Mount of Olives and the Mount of Olives is going to split in two and God's going to rearrange the entire geography of the land of Israel. By the way, I think if we'll study Zechariah chapter 14 and the changes are there and Ezekiel chapters 40 through 48... And how that Israel, uh, will be turned into a huge plain and God gives square allotments to each one of the twelve tribes that you're going to find a whole lot of agreement there because he's going to change all of that. But that doesn't fit with we'll be caught up with the Lord in the air ever to be with the Lord. A quiet time. That's why we believe there are two separate events. We are never going to be parted from Jesus again and death is going to be put away forever for those that believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. It's going to be the end of the first resurrection. The unsaved dead will not live until the end of the thousand year kingdom. And, and we'll get into a full uh, scale try to have a little chart put up for for you. but the Bible teaches constantly throughout the New Testament that Jesus could return at any time. Paul expected it in his life. We should be in that same expectation that Jesus could return at any time. I'll tell you what. John put it this way: He that hath this hope in him purifieth himself, even as he is pure. That's what we are supposed to do. We are supposed to wait on the coming of our Lord. Not get a white robe and wander around the Alps. Actually, I knew a preacher that did that. I didn't know him personally. I just knew the story. Uh, they all sold all their possessions and put on white robes and went camping through the Alps. Well, that that was good until winter came. And and they had to do something else. Um, I knew one, uh, a couple of people that actually said, uh, I knew one independent Baptist preacher that said, Jesus, coming back, I'm going to run up my credit card debts and leave them for the Antichrist. Didn't work, my friend. He was in big trouble in his little plan. Jesus is not coming according to your plan. He's coming according to his plan. We're supposed to wait on him. That means we're not going to be bugging him and constantly bickering with him and trying to get him to do what we You ever been to a restaurant where the waiter wanted you to order what he wanted you to order? Oh, you got to try this. I don't eat snails. Uh, And I am never going to eat snails knowingly. Uh, I just have no desire. I don't care how good they are. I don't want them. It's just the thought drives me crazy. Now, I'll pour salt on them and watch them disappear, but I am not eating snails. And somebody says, you're missing it. I am not worried about missing anything. All right. But how many times do we treat Jesus like that? Trying to tell him, come back today. Don't you know what's going on in Congress? Uh, No. Let's not badger him. Uh, Let's not ignore him. Let's read enough about this Bible and get close enough to him that we can be doing those things that would please Him until He comes. Because we don't know when that's going to be. Somebody wrote a book, 88 Reasons Why Jesus Will Return in 88. We got married in 1988. And people would joke with us in, in those months before our wedding, Are you still going to go through with the wedding? Jesus is coming back a month after you're marrying. Well, that was 26 years and 12 kids ago. I think we made the right decision. I knew people who were in Bible college. Jesus is coming back. I can't stand to be here in the classroom. I'm going to go out and serve Jesus. You know what they did? They did everything that they would have learned not to do if they had only stayed in Bible college and finished the course that God had set before them. You see, you need to be doing what God has set before you. And God will count you faithful because that's the only degree a Christian ought to try to earn. And all God's people said, Heavenly Father, we come before you and we just ask you to work. In our hearts and in our lives, help us, Lord, to be faithful, to wait on you as that good and faithful servant that you talked about in the parables, to take what you've given us and use it to serve you, that we may have something to give you when you come. In Jesus' name we pray. And before we finish that prayer, Lord, just keep our heads bowed and play a song on the piano there. And if you'd like to just slip out and spend a little time in prayer, the altar's open.